We have to go back! Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And this week, we collect our debts. Um, that's a Game of Thrones wow. thing, right? Oh, oh yeah. L- oh, Lannister always pays their debts. Pays. So, yeah. I've been playing a, a different kind of game. Uh, yeah. The game of mm-hmm. Monopoly. <laughs> we, are, we are at a, a, a beautiful middle of a Venn diagram that on one side is the premiere of Game of Thrones, yeah, and on the other side is Endgame. What is the common denominator? And we distilled everything else down, like the good math students we are. Yes, yes. And we are reviewing the game. Yeah, it's cleaner. And this fits because David Fincher directed <laughs> Fincher. this movie. We've been waiting so long. The movie The Game, uh, not to be confused with the rapper, the TV show, or I found like a there's a game called The Game. No, that's impossible to Google. <laughs> no, I want Game the Game. No, the, the Game the Game. Uh, so the synopsis is after a wealthy banker is given an opportunity to participate in a mysterious game, his life is turned upside down when he becomes unable to distinguish between the game and reality. That's about it. And I feel like I am conflicted on this one because I I feel like not a lot. It's this in like Sixth Sense where everyone knows the ending. I don't want to spoil the game, but we have to be able to talk about it. Absolutely. So let's put it like this. If you don't want for this movie to be spoiled for you. Uh, and, you know, we, we talk about spoilers a lot. Yeah, and, but this uh, is the most serious we've ever taken a spoiler alert. Seriously, because the whole movie is predicated on you not knowing the ending. Yes, it really is. Uh, So we want to do our due diligence and let you know we would love for you to watch this movie because there are lots of twists and turns. Let's give give a couple of reasons to recommend up front just to let you know. Okay, I like that. Uh, Yeah, we're going to switch it around. My reason to recommend this movie is that not only is it a great thriller uh, with – you know, an, an ending worth protecting, I would say. Very good. Um, it is. It has intensely good acting. Uh, like the acting sequences. Michael Douglas, I've always been a Michael Douglas fan, but that could be because I saw this movie at such a young age, and I was like, that guy approved. <laughs> he is a good actor. But these scenes are really strong, and they're driven by clear-cut character desires and objectives, uh, and it's just a really clean movie with like really clean act breaks that keeps you gripped and interesting. And um, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of this movie and its construction and the concept of it. Um, and if none of that sways you to pause this podcast and go and watch this movie, if you haven't, um, the use of the phrase "on the morrow" to refer to tomorrow <laughs> is used, and that's pretty fancy. So just see how they work that into conversation. Yeah, very true. So um, my reason to recommend will kind of uh, come in the form of a quote by David Fincher. Uh, he said in an interview that this film um, differs from other movies of its kind because, quote, movies usually make a pact with the audience that says. We're going to play it straight. What we show you is going to add up. But we don't do that. 
yeah. end quote. If you're looking for a movie that breaks all movie rules um, and like narrative storytelling, I'd highly recommend this movie. So uh, for those of you who are going to pause the podcast, thanks for listening. Um, the people who have already seen this movie, which is, by the way, available on Amazon Prime. If you already yeah, have Amazon that Prime, nice. yeah. that's how I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, go enjoy and then come right back. We will be here waiting for you. We have been waiting for you. Welcome back to the Flash Netflix Record Movie Podcast. I mumbled that so quickly. Because we've been uh, waiting for so long. We were waiting for so long. I, I don't just... understand this joke. <laughs> Thank you for pausing and going and watching the game. Now we're going to get into the spoiler territory. Uh, so... First off, we're going to get into some history. David Fincher originally wanted to make this movie before Seven, uh, the 1995 movie. But once Brad Pitt became available for Seven, they said, okay, we got to put this film on hold because Brad Pitt's finally available. Uh, And his primary influence for the game um, was him noticing that Michael Douglas's character was like a fashionable, good-looking Scrooge. Um, lured into a Mission Impossible-like situation uh, with a steroid shot in the thigh from The Sting. <laughs> yeah, and they basically just took Gordon Gecko and put him in possible situations. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, and this movie, uh, I, I don't know why I was surprised by this budget, but it had a $48 million budget uh, and ended up making $109. Not $109. Wow. Biggest flop since Pluto Nash. That is. Not even Pluto Nash did that bad. Pluto Nash (laughs) made a Subway gift card back at the box office. The game went on to make $109 million worldwide, and it was even issued to Laserdisc in 1997. Uh, Uh, And in retrospect, uh, Michael Douglas looks fondly on this film. He says, I think that. I'm most proud about this film is because it's one of the very few movies that you could not guess the ending. That's why I'm such a big fan of sports with sports. You can never guess what's going to happen. Most movies you get halfway through and you can kind of guess the ending the game. You can never figure out what the ending was going to be. Mm -mm. Yeah. And it really is a great acting vehicle for him. He carries that movie start to finish. So I'm glad that he likes it uh, because yeah, I'm a big fan of his performance in it. I'm sorry, did you say Stark to finish? Oh, I didn't, but I should have. So this was my first time watching this movie. And let me tell you, I what a roller coaster. What a movie roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically, I, I wrote down like just one sentence and it was this. I was like, this is like a dark Truman show meets an escape room. Um, meets if you could force people into a Christmas carol. Just like, okay, great. So everyone, this person is going to be visited by three ghosts, and we are doing everything we can to sell this because they need to change. And it just, it blew my mind. And so, you know, the big spoiler (laughs) is that, like, the whole movie you're watching and you're like, okay, like, is this part of the game? Or is it, like, is this, like, a scam or... Okay, no, this is clearly still part of, or is this this what's happening? And I'm just like, I don't know what like when he when the guy jumped out the car and like launched him into the San Francisco Bay. San Francisco Bay, I was yeah. like, uh what's happening? Yeah. What 
what is this? And it is was collateral. <laughs> like it just it just felt like I I didn't know what was happening. And yeah. and it like when he but then at first I was like, no, I get it. This is all still part of the game. Like it's all but then when he jumped off the roof, I'm like at what point? When he it, shoots his brother, when he jumps off the roof. Now that you say a Christmas carol, I want nothing more than for Sean Penn to come through those doors at the end holding a Christmas goose. <laughs> a goose! Oh, and it shoots him goose. through the goose. <laughs> yeah. Keeps you guessing. You are just as, I guess that's, that's the thing. You are just as confused as Michael Douglas the entire time, yeah. which is why you don't break away from him. You have to see it from his perspective. Yes. Oh, I love this movie. I saw this movie for the first time, um, I think, when it came out, like when it was available to rent. So I was like nine years old, which I will say is too young to see this movie. I would agree. But, but... I have such a fond place for this movie in my heart because I had never seen anything like it, especially as a nine-year-old. I was like, wow, what a steep jump from Back to the Future to this. <laughs> and um, I, I was just too young to fully appreciate it. But rewatching it, um, I may have seen it once in between there, but I just really enjoy this movie. But we definitely have a long-distance relationship uh, where it's like, I know the ending. I appreciate the ending. And even from when I was nine, I remembered way more of this than I thought I would. Like, I remember everything about the doll. I remember everything about the, like, graffiti break-in stuff. I remember the ending exactly. I was thinking, like, oh, there's going to be something in the ending that I probably just didn't remember from watching this, you know, 20 years ago. Nope. It is there. So the power of this story to just seep into my child brain and stay there, uh, I think it's just really telling of how well this movie is made. Um, or just, you know, children are sponges. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I soaked it up with David Fincher films. This was my first David Fincher film to see. I believe I've seen all of his um, theatrically released films. Um, so I, I, I like that, you know, even though Seven was made before, like this, to me, was the first Fincher film. And uh, yeah, I can just appreciate the nostalgia of that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that they really did a good job, because I went back, I was like, how did they market this movie? Because it, it it's a thriller. Like, that's the category. It's a drama mystery thriller. Yeah. And if you look at the poster, it's like, you know, a jigsaw puzzle of, you know, <laughs> the 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 head of Michael Douglas. And it's just like puzzle pieces coming out of his brain. I was just like, I thought that this was going to be a Saul, like a pre a predecessor to Saul. I'm just oh, like, okay, man, great. You're just blowing right into headcanon. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just like, okay, so like it's it's Saul, like this guy, he becomes this pawn. Or I thought it was gonna be uh you remember the movie Phone Booth? Oh, yeah, I remember phone I booth. thought it was going to be something like phone booth. Oh, because he uses a lot of phone booths in this? He used a lot he of really phone He really does. I thought about phone booth during this movie where I was like, oh, yeah, phone booths. Yeah. That's that's right. Those exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phone booth. And so I, I just I didn't know what I was expecting. And then like when I saw that this was the thing, it's like, you had to change, man. You're, you're, becoming, the, you're becoming so mean. I was like, what? Yeah. And uh, Sean Penn's like, I was the ghost of Christmas past, present, future. I was Bob Cratchit. I was Tiny <laughs> Tim. You're welcome. Yeah. 
like the fact that they even worked in actors into the narrative. It's just mm. like, how meta is this thing going to go? And I'm telling you, when he walked into that room of all the other actors just sitting there, not doing anything, I was like, I think I would have a psychotic break oh, if yeah. I just walked into a room and I just saw all these people in costume just do not even reacting to me. I was just like, I know who you what's happened. I would I would freak out. Yeah, because at first when you walk into that room, you're like, what is this? Some kind of like village people audition? And then you're like, oh wait a minute. I know everybody in here. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. That's when your brain breaks. Yeah. That's why they do so many studies to make sure he wasn't gonna absolutely go nuts. Right? Yeah. All those tests. But yeah, I I agree. The acting, James Rebhorn, I love his performance every time I I see him in different stuff. Um, and he's one of those actors where his acting legacy lives on past him because he passed away in 2014. But I feel like I'm still seeing his work just as much as when he was alive. And what an amazing thing as an actor that he's done so much material that it's just going to – it keep going on and on uh, past. So, yeah, James Redhorn, my only critique of the film is that I wish he was in it more. He's just kind of at the beginning and end and like, oh, give me more of him. Um, but, yeah, Michael Douglas, I, I know I keep going on about the acting, but he really is in the strike zone whenever he is playing someone becoming slowly unhinged. Mm-hmm. Um, we should review it on the podcast. I don't know for what week or why we would, but Falling Down, if you haven't seen Michael Douglas in Falling Down, it's very similar to this, except with not as redeeming an ending, I would say. Um, so check that out. It is interesting. Um, and just uh, see what Michael Douglas is capable of. Because uh, this movie is definitely uh, his his strike zone um, as far as that like thriller action vibe. There's a whole generation that basically just knows him as Hank Pym, but he, I mean, he's another one of those actors that has just been around forever, and his body of work is so huge and so good. Um, so yeah, it was great getting to to see this again. Yeah. I mean, he's just such a good actor. I mean, he can be a wolf and an ant. He can do everything. <laughs> um, I alluded to this in the reasons to recommend up front, but the uh, the super clear act breaks are something that I did appreciate more in this, especially going into that final act where he wakes up in Mexico in the coffin. He has no money, no friends, nothing. So this... This is exactly what you want for a third act. He he has to give up his connection to the past, in which case is this case is his watch, I guess the the watch that his mom gave him that belonged to his dad, in order to move on into the future, because he's as far away from victory as possible. And it's like, yes, please, because uh, this movie is a solid two hours plus. It's like two oh six, two oh nine, something like that. Yeah, but the like act two breaks of an end game. Yeah, please, child's play, uh, coming out soon. So um, <laughs> it's it's very clearly, it's still a three-act structure, but that midpoint is so stark, that, that time I said it, <laughs> that it is very clear that these are like four segments that they're kind of working through, um, but it's punctuated so well that, um, yeah, it keeps you gripped for the entire time. Grayson, I think... I think we're being we're being wiretapped. 
Oh, you're just being paranoid, Ricky. No, Grayson. <laughs> mm-hmm. These microphones. You're playing a dangerous game, Ricky. Don't acknowledge the microphones. They're listening. Edgar! Oh, yeah. They're listening, but that bit went on pretty long, so maybe not anymore. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> Headcans is a part show where we share a few unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Truman Show came out in 1998, the exact year after this. I know production-wise it's impossible, but I would love to think that Truman Show was the next level of... Or actually, I'll take that back. That the game was um, basically... their their brother-sister programs. Like, yeah. Truman Show followed his whole life. Yeah. Um, so they had been doing that for about 30 years. And so they're like, okay, great. Like, Truman Show's great, but, like, we need to find other moneymakers. Like, what if other people could have, like, basically a Truman-like experience? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so for people who are willing to pay, because it seems to be all high-level people, um that's basically how they get a lot of their funding, not just through advertising, but also through giving other people this experience. Yeah. I'm going to have to piggyback off that because a majority of my headcanon was also Truman Show related. Mm. Um, but I believe that this is the Truman Show, but it is series one of the Truman Show. Oh. This was the pilot program. Okay. And um, those memories that he has of his father, which there's a, a dying father in both series, those memories aren't just memories. That's the actual footage from when the show began. Whoa. We are seeing intercut footage like they did in the Truman Show, uh, which is why the film stock is real grainy. It's like what they had at the time. They hadn't really figured out a lot of the nuances of the Truman Show. Um, but uh, my my theory as to how this connects to the other one is that uh, Feingold, James Rebhorn's character, is actually Kristoff's father. Um, so we see, like, child Kristoff at the zoo in the background, but his father was involved in this show. And when uh, this one kind of came... Uh, sorry. But when this one went off the air, he was like, I can do it better. Uh, and he passed it on to his son. Mm. Um, uh, being an actor himself, he moved into producing and then made The Truman Show. So that sets The Truman Show a little further in the future uh, to make that make sense. But with the kind of technology they have in that movie, in Truman Show, in the, uh, the, like the stadium that they built, they would need a significant amount of time. Um, so that means this, uh, the story behind the story then, since we never see outside of the show in the game would be that this show had the same concept. They had raised him, uh, since he was a baby. Uh, they wrote the guy that's the voice of Mario off the show and he just became, uh, the person that he was, but everything was being manipulated. The show was not doing well, though. And the reason is because they had let him become an unlikable character. He was mm. someone that people did not want to watch anymore. So they were facing cancellation. And they were saying, like, you're, you're going to get canceled. You have two options. You either find a way to make this more interesting 
or you kill them off. So they came up with a solution that would accomplish either of those things. And with them committing their entire lives to this project, they believed that we can redeem him. But the network was like, if he dies, he dies. That's great ratings. Either way, this is this needs to be some kind of finale or reboot of this show. And that's what they did. And so you can decide for yourself whether or not he left the show at that point, whether it was actually canceled, whether it went on. Um, I believe it was probably canceled quickly after this. And since kind of all of the... Uh, everything had been exposed at that point. The show couldn't live on. Just like in Truman's show where he's like, you could live here. And he was like, why would I? Like there's a whole world out there. Um, so I, I think we see uh, a lot of similarities in the way that they shoot these two. Like the scene where he discovers the the sales tag on the lamp and he's talking to the smoke detector. That's Almost exactly like when he when Truman holds his wife hostage uh, with a slice-o-matic. It's the, the like it it you feel the same uh, like echoing moments throughout it, um, and both shows really have a problem with elevators. They don't know how elevators work. They've never been yeah. good at it. Yep. Um, so yeah, and uh, that that's the heart of my headcanon there. That this was version one of the Truman Show. Nice, because Truman is at a much larger scale. Yeah, uh, so they improved was, upon the original idea. Um, it also kind of made me think of headcanon wise how this whole thing could have been started by the kid who grew up. So the kid from Last Action Hero grew up and basically said. I got to live inside of a movie and this was the greatest thing I've ever experienced. I, and he was just trying to just like follow that, yeah. uh, like to recapture that lightning in a bottle and give someone that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, just where they started to believe like whatever was like, presented in front of them kind of thing. Yeah. The magic's uh, real. Yeah. An immersive entertainment experience. Yes. Yeah. I did have no expense. <laughs> spend no expense. Uh, we could probably make that work. Uh, I did have um, a couple of mini headcanons, real quick stuff. Of course, Ant Man comes to mind. His name's Van Orton. He married Janet Van Dyne. Uh, San Francisco was a big thing. Um, I could see Christine maybe being like a young Michelle Pfeiffer. The timeline was bonkers whenever I tried to line it up. Uh, he gets his home broken into. There's a lot of stuff there. So I was like, maybe this was S.H.I.E.L.D.'s recruitment process. But by that point, he had been like out of uh, S.H.I.E.L.D., I think, for eight years, eight or nine years. He he resigned from S.H.I.E.L.D. in 89. And also his last name's not Pym, whatever. <laughs> um, and then... I did like the idea that CRS is actually a legitimized version of Tyler Durden's Project Mayhem. That they were able to to control the mayhem in a way that improves people's lives and keeps them from really knowing what's real, which would be very, uh, very Tyler Durden. And then finally, we kind of mentioned it before that uh, Jigsaw is somehow connected to this. Maybe he founded CRS and he's like, now you really appreciate your life. But I think that would also explain why he always wants to play a game. I am sore from all that stretching. 
Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we let to talk to you guys about recasts and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be remade today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Uh, for some reason, I just think Paul Rudd would do a good job at this movie. <laughs> um, just take a more serious role. Um, but also, I think someone like um, Don Cheadle. Uh, oh, would do like really, really well in this, but it's so hard to remake this movie without it, um, without you like knowing the ending, unless you do frame it of like, hey, we do take these people through these experiences, and we we just make a franchise out of it, and you get mm. to see what lesson do these people need to learn? Kind of like what yeah. I mean, we talked about with Scrooge, like Scrooge needed to learn the error of his ways. What if they're like what? other situations do people need to be taken out of um one of the longest series that i watched growing up was touched by an angel oh yeah um, walk with you oh, yeah yeah and so like basically each episode of touched by an angel like each person kind of like learned their lesson of the week i feel like they could do that either in the film franchise mm-hmm. uh, but more honestly it would probably be like um a netflix or Disney Plus original. Uh, would this make it to Disney Plus? Who knows? Uh, the Fox side. Yeah, the Fox <laughs> side of Disney Plus. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it could be a, a great original series where it's called The Game and the premise is well known, but it just follows all these different people in their life. Um, and they sometimes might get multi part episodes. Maybe they just get one part. Um, but if they were to do a feature film, I would love to see Don Cheadle just because I, I think that um, I would love to see him uh, just question every single thing in front of him. I like that. My recast um, for Nick Van Orton, I had Robert Downey Jr., uh, but not because of the Marvel connection, because of the Fincher connection. Ah, yes. um, so my whole cast are Fincher alums. So nice. Robert Downey Jr. worked with him on Zodiac. Uh, for Conrad, Sean Penn's character, I want to bring back Brad Pitt. Yes. And, because uh, you know, Seven, obviously, uh, which is great. And then for Christine, uh, I had Rosamund Pike, uh, who Fincher directed in Gone Girl. Um, and I, I think the three of them would be great. And then yeah. for James Rebhorn, I don't see CG, James Rebhorn, Grand Moff Tarkin style. Uh I, there's plenty of footage to use. Mm-hmm. Just we'll work with it. Um, and then for remaking it or a sequel, I would like to see a sequel or a spinoff or whatever in the different countries they referred to or right. a prequel of what Sean Penn's character went through. Yeah. Because he's paid for this twice now. Wow. Unless it was a gift for him. So, or I guess once and a half. But I would like to... Um, to see what happened to him we never really find out um i'd like to see uh like the australia job i'd like to see the london office they talk about yeah all all of that so um i think that would be super interesting and and could have a lot of legs on it but i also kind of believe that um nick can't go back to doing what he was doing before i think his life is kind of like burnt to the ground a little bit so i think he would just work and fund and do all like he would join crs 
and help improve people's lives. So like have him go along and see him pull the strings. Um, yeah, I, I would just really enjoy that. Now we're going to go into our final segment of the show where we give you our reasons to recommend, but more spoilery ones, mm. uh, since we kind of already gave you ones. Uh, so spoilery reasons to recommend, this really is one of those movies where I feel like there's nothing quite like experiencing it for the first time and if you did already go back and watch it it's so cool to probably watch it with other people like after watching this i watched it by myself i'm like i want my wife to see this and i want to watch her watch this movie <laughs> uh, because it's so twisty and i especially with you know us being movie lovers i like when my movie knowing logic is subverted i'm just like yeah. oh this is just a wait uh, Penn and Teller have this thing that they've talked about and um, where other magicians will do um, tricks for magicians. Oh, sorry, illusions. Where other magicians will uh, do illusions for other magicians. And it's not mm -hmm. just the same kind of like pedestrian uh, tricks, but it's something that they do for people who are in the know of oh, nice. different uh, strategies. Like one time they got fooled on uh just like a basically a traditional like cup switching uh like hey find the you know the peanut in the cup and you just switch it all around and it's like a sleight of hand trick and they actually fooled Penn and teller um because it was an but, almond the entire time because yeah, it was an almond the whole time yeah but basically just the idea is that like they tricked them because they knew where it would be and what to expect yeah. But by playing on the actual expectations of where it would be, they actually did trick them and they had like a good natured laugh. I feel like this movie is that. Um, yeah. And it's really cool just because like, oh, I see what you did there. Like, oh, great. You like, So you, t you knew all the rules and you broke them in the mm -hmm. best way. Yeah. That that double ending um, is incredibly satisfying because when. Christine starts to freak out about the gun being like, no, we swept the house. And it's very logical that they would have missed it. It was a, a hidden gun inside a book. You believe her. Um, and like I said, w this whole thing is from Michael Douglas's perspective. So we have no reason to think it's anything other than what she's telling us at that point, because what does she have to lose? Um, and so we, we think we're playing with live bullets at the end and to have the brother show up, you're like, whoa, that's the twist. And then when he steps off the ledge and you're like, I, I don't know how this is going to, this is super depressing. Uh, and then you're kind of resigned to it because that shot goes on so long. It goes on long enough for you to believe it, which is a testament to the editing. So I would recommend it for the for the pacing, for the editing, for the ability to know what the character is thinking, to buy into their emotional and mental state in the moment uh, just long enough to have it subverted and you crash through the glass and you're just as confused as he is. Um, it's I, I can't really think of a movie off the top of my head where I feel so... Uh, just kind of in the body of that character the entire time. Cause there's really not much of a, a B story. Traditionally, he interacts with like B story characters. You can make a case for that, but it is him. You are with him the entire time. And it's super powerful. You, you get tricked just as much as he got tricked. And, um, uh, 
that that's just an amazing feat that Fincher pulled off in this film. And I mean, the best part about the movie is that everyone wins in the end. They really do. They really do. <gasps> Ricky, I would be remiss in my duties <laughs> as as a podcast co-host if I didn't introduce a mini segment called Flash Watch. We got Flass one more time. <laughs> There's nothing wise about what you do, Flass. So let's add him. We got him in Batman Begins. Yeah. We got him in uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, man. We got Flash. him in Memento. And oh, now it was, Flass. As soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, this is too perfect. Oh, man. Flass has the worst life, by yeah. the way. <laughs> one of these days, Flass is going to get his golden fleece. But oh, man. Not not today. No. Even as an actor, he freaks out and has to run away. So oh, that's man. uh that's Flash Watch twenty nineteen. It's it's been a it's been a good watch. It's been a good watch. Uh, and that is our review of the nineteen ninety seven movie the game uh, let us know what you remember about the game especially if you took the time to pause the podcast and go watch it and come back and listen uh, let us know on facebook instagram and twitter and all places we are at flashback flicks and give this review of the game a gaming five out of five if you if you would mm. give it that because uh, game recognizes game. Game recognizes game. Is very a thing good. I have heard. Yeah. Grayson, I've very I've heard. Yeah, that's yeah, very good. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm plugged in. <laughs> Which is not a thing I've heard. <laughs> and be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Some heroes are born great. Some rise to greatness. And others make greatness in the cave. I've heard that. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, from the Iliad. We are reviewing the 2008 movie Iron Man. Woo! Yes! You think you're the only podcast that can review an Iron Man film? <laughs> I'm so excited.